holy and divine word as we worship him this wonderful day. Father, we, we came together today as the body of Christ to worship you. Freedom in Christ. Oh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later as we go. What, what the Lord Jesus did for us as we talk about angels and created beings. But Lord, also about us. You know, we sung a song a moment ago. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Not only a sanctuary for your Holy Spirit that, that dwells within us and that we don't want to quench or grieve him. We want him to reign free in this body of flesh that we have that's been born again through the blood of Jesus. But also, Father, we're supposed to be a sanctuary for the word of God within us. Not, we're not supposed to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Father, this day we want to feed upon your manna from heaven and we want it to be taken in, Father. It, it's almost like breathing. It was given by your Holy Spirit. It says your word is God-breathed. And what that means is, is just as in life you have us to breathe in that oxygen and then expel carbon dioxide to the world, we're supposed to take in your word and it brings life and joy and refreshment within us and builds us up. And then we exude that back out into the world as ambassadors for Christ. So, Father, this day we pray that your word will come into us and be a sanctuary, pure and holy. And may we, may we learn and then may we be an example to those in this world. May we take this message to them, Father. Help us to learn this day more about you and your created beings that you have that intermingle with us each and every day. And we pray this, Father, and pray that you are glorified by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you know, the last two weeks we started talking about, man, we opened up a really big can of worms with, with like... Uh, they were talking about UFOs and everything in the news and that they was going to have this disclosure and, and stuff. And you know what ended up happening? They punted on us, didn't they? I mean, this last week, they kind of said, eh, we're keeping everything that was top secret, top secret. We're not really telling you anything. And what we did learn was that, yeah, there's some things out there that we can't explain, but that's all we're going to say about it. I mean, they really just set us up to punt the ball away because they really don't want us to know what's going on and what's happening. But you know what? We said we're going to get started into this so that we know what's really going to happen and go on. So we're not going to punt the ball. You know, Woody Hayes, whenever he was coaching at Ohio State, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks like to throw the ball, like to be exciting. Woody Hayes said that it's three yards in a cloud of dust. And, and we're going to just move the ball three yards, three yards, and get a first down. And we're going to keep going until we take it all the way in. And whenever you're talking about angelic warfare, and you're talking about angels, and you're talking about fallen angels, and you're talking about the interaction that they all have in the Word of God with us, it is three, clouds, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust. It is tough sledding. Um, and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep on sledding and get down through it. The first thing that we wanted to know, I said we're going to hit the ground running. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of, of going back over what we've had. We're going, to, we're going to take it from here and run with it. And the only things that we're building our foundation on is God is Elohim. He is, he is God the Creator. He is eternal in essence. He always has been, always will be, and He is right now. And that there are three persons in that Godhead that agree in one, and that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the disciple of Jesus named John, the one who, who loved Him so, he wrote 
not only the gospel of John, but he wrote epistles. And in 1 John chapter 5, he tried to describe this relationship to us. And it says in, in the very first verse that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now right there is two of the members of that Godhead right there. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ and we've got God the Father. And it says that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born again of God through that faith. And that faith is not a faith of, oh, I just believe and I move on. No, the devils do that and they tremble. That kind of faith is one that makes a conviction of the heart, it says, when you look up that word. Pistuo is a word that means conviction, that I believe it to the point that it, it operates through me towards that end of what it is because I believe in it that much. And then in verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world? How many want to overcome this world? Every one of the churches in Revelation in chapter 2 and 3, those seven churches, at the end of it, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in that epistle to them, when he, he would say, Blessed are they who overcome. And to those who overcome, I will give. And he does that because we have to endure through this world. Well, John here, the same writer of Revelation says, Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is he, the Lord Jesus, who came by water and blood. Not only by water, but water and blood. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And there's that third person. And he tries to tell us in verse 7 how that fits together. There are three in heaven that bear witness to this. And that is the Father, the Word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And we said that was like an egg. How that an egg is one. And that is the whole thing is an egg. But you can crack it. You can have a shell and a white and a yellow. And each one of them are part of the egg. You got, they would be called egg, egg white, egg shell, egg yolk. But together they are one. Apart, they are also distinct in their beings together. There are three that bear record in heaven, and these three come together as one essence and one in unity. They all have the same characteristics of God that nothing else has. Eternal life. Always has been, always will be, no end, no beginning. Only God had that. Only God has all of those big omni words that means that He is everywhere and that He is all-powerful and that He is all-knowing and that He is justice and righteousness and love. These perfect things are only in perfection with God. No other created being, angels, fallen angels, or man, or any of the lower creation of the animals has eternal life, always has been, always will be, None of them are all-knowing. None of us are everywhere at once. None of us have all power. So only God has those characteristics. And they bear record together in heaven just as those three that bear witness in the earth to this, which is the Spirit, the water, and the blood, the Word of God says. So fact number one, God is God and the Godhead of the three alone are God and nothing else is. And we noted that that's what we build the foundation on. And that God then began to set before everything was, before anything else was, a plan in motion. And even before the foundation of the world, he put in plan the salvation. It says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world in the mind of the Father, because that was the plan of God. Next, we started seeing the order of creation. After all the planning was done, the first quarter uh, thing on the, the timeline of creation, we saw from eternity past, all of a sudden there came a point of angels. And we saw from Job 38, in verse 7, it says that there was morning stars that sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy as the earth was being prepared. So we know that those created beings of angels 
came before the earth's foundations was put together. And I've got something in here that was just my opinion. And, and this is my opinion from looking at that verse. But when it says that the morning stars sang together. And then it says all the sons of God shouted for joy. I think that at this point it was still before the fall of Satan and the angels that he brought. Why? Because all of them are together shouting and singing for joy. And I don't think that if he had already rebelled and already been cast out and had all of that happen, I don't think he would be there shouting for joy that the earth was being created because on this earth is where the angelic conflict surrounding us comes into play. So I think that still at this time, he was still called a son of God that would shout for joy at what God was creating. And then, fact number one, we're going to talk about angels today and these created beings. And fact number one is, they are real. <laughs> yes, they are real. Don't ever think that they are not real, that it is fairy tales, that it is storybook stuff, that it makes good movies and publicity. No. This whole thing is real. There are angels. There are two classes now because of that fall. There are the fallen angels and then what the Bible calls the elect angels. So there are those two groups, but angels and angelic beings are very real. And we're going to start with them now. First of all, they are not God. They are not God. They are all created beings from the hand of God. And even the mightiest of those angelic beings that was ever created is no match for God. Let's start with him, this creature that became, he was known as Lucifer, son of the morning in Isaiah 14. We might see more of that next week. I'm not going to go that direction today. I'm going to go only in Ezekiel 28. And if you want to turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 28... Well, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Gary's back there going, dude, look at your notes. <laughs> okay, first, first, I'm sorry, Gary. First, as we get ready to, to go into this, Psalm 148. That's not on the notes, but I wrote it here this morning. Psalm 148, what I want to show you is angels as created beings of God, but also the relationship they have between us and and also with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Psalm 148, it talks about praising the Lord. I don't know if you've ever sang the song that, that has some of those words that goes like, um, uh, Let them praise as give Jehovah for His name alone is high. You guys ever heard that song? It's one that goes like, There's uh, sun and moon and vapors. All of those things. And then let the, the heavens praise Jehovah. And the dragons praise Jehovah. And all of the created beings. And then it goes into that. Most of you say nope. Never heard. Okay I'll play that one next week for you. Anyway. It is and it's from Psalm 148. In Psalm 148 it's where the psalmist writes and tells us. That you're going to praise the Lord. And he says, let everything that has breath and everything that God has created praise the Lord. For he commanded them and they became and they were created. So God by his command and by his voice commanded and they became into being. Part of those was angels. Praise him all ye angels and the hosts on high and the stars of light. Ye sun and moon and stars on high. And in Psalm 8. It supports this theist that we have that our Lord, it says there in verse 1, How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. So God has set his glory above all of this that we know of, the earth and the heavens and the sky. His glory is out there. And out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of your enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. That angelic conflict is always prevalent in the scriptures. He says, because of the enemies, you're going to steal him and the avenger. And then David says, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained and you spoke into being, 
all of these galaxies and all of these planets and all of these stars. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou hast visited him, that thou made him a little... Now look at what we are and what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. It, it's talking about mankind, but it's also talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is God that has got his glory past the millions of light years of stars and planets and galaxies. This God who sits in glorious reign on his throne with all of that, why would he take a speck of sinful flesh like me and be mindful of me? And why would he visit me with his son as a man and make him lower than the angels? You realize that when Jesus gave up being God, that he became man, that made him lower than the angelic creation that he created. This psalm is quoted in the New Testament for this very fact in the book of Hebrews. The writers of the Hebrew letter in, in chapter uh, 2 and verse 5 says this, There has not been any of the angels that he put into subjection of this world to come, whereof we speak. But from a certain place, and that was the psalm that we just read, says, What is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visiteth him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you did set him over the works of thy hands, and you've put everything under his subjection under his feet. But yet, verse 9, look at this. But we, but we see Jesus... Not everything's under the feet as of yet, but we see Jesus, who was what? Made a little lower than the angels. I cannot hardly fathom that. The, the Lord that spoke things into being loved you and I so much that when He said they need help and need a Savior, He chose to become lower than his creation. To come here. And why? To be crowned through the suffering of death. And lower than the angels. That he would be crowned with glory and honor. And by the grace of God. By God's grace. He tasted death for every man. And it became him then. It was fitting then. By the one whom all things were made and by whom are all things. He came lower than the angels for a purpose to suffer. So that he could bring many sons to glory with him. And become the captain of our salvation. Can you imagine that kind of love? I can't hardly do it. He became lower than the angels. Suffered and died for one purpose, to bring many sons into glory with him. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why? Why? All of, all of this had to begin because there was a rebellion. And we're going to go there now. Now we can go to Ezekiel 28. If you want to turn there with me, this is talking about the creation of angels and specifically the angel that fell. The one who was the mightiest. Who was everything that there was. In Ezekiel 28. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Because we covered this a little bit on Halloween. Whenever we, we brought this out. But I, I just want to, I want to set us going in motion with this. And starting in verse 11. That this is the word of the Lord. And it came unto me saying. Ezekiel said. Son of man take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus. And that's a symbol for Satan who is ruling over that city. In the first part of the chapter, it was a lamentation unto the prince of Tyrus, which is the leader who is being manipulated by Satan. And so now we're getting to actually the one who is doing the manipulation, and that is Satan, the king of Tyrus. And say to him, 
Thus saith the Lord God. So this is God speaking about Lucifer, son of the morning. He says, Thou sealest up the psalm. And that's just a Hebrew idiom, sealing up the sun. Like today we might say something like, man, that's a whole ball of wax. I mean, that's everything. He, you sealed up the sum. You were the greatest of everything. You were full of wisdom. You were perfect in your beauty. You had been in Eden, the garden of God. And this is not the garden of Eden in Genesis. This is Eden, the garden of God that's in the heavenly realm. And you'll see more of that in a minute when he's walking amongst the stones of fire. But one of the promises to you and I in those seven letters to the church in, churches in Revelation, one of them says, to he who overcomes, which is through faith in Christ, to he who overcomes, I will grant him to permission to eat with me in the paradise of God, in the garden of God that is there. So God has a, another place. The things that are here, a lot of them are mimicked of what is in heaven. Just as the tabernacle was given after the pattern of the temple and the tabernacle that is in the heavenly realm, we're told in the book of Hebrews. He says, you walked in Eden, the garden of God, in the heavenly realm, perfect in wisdom and in beauty and everything you had. And every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold. You had all of these. And when I look at when the breastplate was made for the high priest. These were most of the stones that was on it as well. And lights shone through that. Remember when we had the Urim and Thummim and it would show through those. So Satan is a being of light who had as his body these precious gems that would be shining and lighting. And he says then, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. So that's his vocal cords and his larynx and his ability to speak or sing and to do things and to lead worship not only as maybe a high priest but also as one who led the praise of God. These things was prepared in you from when? The day you were created. God's putting an emphasis on something. This is a created being by my hand. I made you perfect, but you are not God. But you want to be like God. You want to take my place, but you are not God. You are a created being. And then he says this, verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub. There's one of our categories of angels that we're going to talk about. This is an angelic being. He is in the heavenly realm with God. He is the sum of everything. He seals up the sum. And thou was also the anointed cherub. And the anointed one comes down through the branch to be with Christ. So he was an anointed cherub who was surrounding the throne probably of Christ as he did this. And that's what that means, that covereth. That word that says you were the anointed cherub that covereth, that is like whenever you uh, hedge a fence of protection around someone. So you were the anointed one's covering. You were there as that. You were the, the highest angel of being in the throne room of God. I set you so because I created you and I had the authority to set you where you was. You were on the holy mountain of God, walking up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And for the first time it hit me when I was studying this this week, I've talked so many times about Job 1 and 2. And when God calls that assembly of the sons of God to worship there and to give instruction, and it says Satan also came at this calling of this assembly of the sons of God, which is the angelic beings, and he asks him, where have you been? And in both chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job, he says, I have been on the earth, walking up and down and to and fro in it. Being it, then it contrasted with this. He used to walk among the stones of fire in the heavenly realm, and he's been expelled. And the only kingdom that he has right now is this earth. And so he's still trying to exalt himself by saying, I'm walking 
in the earth up and down and to and fro in it. But he used to walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You, the Lord says here in verse 15, were perfect in all of your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And by the merchandise of your multitude of merchandise, it filled the midst of you with violence. In other words, that multitude of merchandise is basically as he paraded around and did these things and he was sealing up the sum of his beauty and his wisdom and everything that he had going on, they were going, man, that was a great thing you did today. Man, that was great. That you, oh, look how beautiful you are. And pretty soon, the multitude of his merchandising, the talk, the talk, the interaction became too much. And it began filling him with pride and wanting to be something that he was not. And it lifted him up. We will see later on in Isaiah 14. But it says, from that, it filled the midst of you with violence. That is the Hebrew word. Hamas. Where do you hear Hamas these days? In the news as the enemy of Israel. Hamas over there in the Middle East. The term means violence. And it started with Satan. And this is Satan's people who have a violence against the things of God. And they even took on that name of the violence of Satan as their moniker. They are known as Hamas. And he says, you were perfect from the day you were created until iniquity was found. And then there was violence, Hamas. And you sinned, and therefore I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy you, O covering cherubim. And that's, that's not a will in the future tense. That was, it, it happened in the tense that it's in in the original. O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. So this covering, anointed, highest angel of God, the cherub who was anointed and covered and who was perfect in every way, iniquity became found and God had to cast him down as profane. So angels, including the most perfect and chief of the anointed, of, of the anointed were created by the hand of God. That makes sure of in verses 13 and 15 that we know that even the highest ranking one is under the authority, the command of God and cannot even stand and God threw him out. So, then here's another fact. Angels were created and they were created as males and gender. And Miss Laura's in the back but she asked me that question on the phone the other day and someone else asked me a question too. It says, uh, are are angels males? And uh, I said, yep, all of them. And, and then the one on the phone said, I knew that. I said, yeah, you're just testing me, aren't you? <laughs> but yeah, every single instance in the Word of God where it talks about angelic beings or even God and the Godhead, it's in the masculine genitive. They are always depicted as males. And I'm going to be honest with you. You go to Google Images. Go to Google Images, type in angels, type in cherubs, type in, you can do it, mighty angels, mighty cherubs. You know what you get? Mostly little babies with little wings and a lot of them with little bows and arrows like a cupid. I could not get one biblical picture of what an angel of God would look like. All of this started in the medieval times with the renaissance and the art. And they started depicting all of these things. And Satan, the master of deceit, has modeled our minds to not be afraid of angels. Not to be afraid of demonic beings. But to make them look like, oh, the sweet little baby cherub. And it is taking our minds off the fact that any time that a real angel portrayed himself not as a man like Whenever Jesus in the tomb was open and the man was sitting in white and talking to him. 
But whenever they present themselves as who and what they really are in an angelic type thing, like where the one's going to come down in the book of Revelation and put one foot in the middle of the ocean and one foot in the middle of a continent and stand there, whenever you do that, it says every time they pass out with fear. They, they fall over as if they were dead and they had to pick Daniel back up. Whenever you see a real angel, but it's going to knock you out. And that's why we have to know who they are because when they start being unrestrained, right now we're going to see how they're restrained. But when they become unrestrained and God starts giving them realm because the end is near, and they start presenting themselves as who we are, they, even John in Revelation fell down to worship the angel that came to stand before him. And the angel said, no, I know what happened to that other angel that got cast out. You're not going to worship me. Get yourself up. I worship God just like you do. Get yourself up. Don't, don't make it look like you're worshiping me and I'm going to get tossed out of here. But what happens is when God removes the restraint and they become visible... Worship is the thing that happens because they are so powerful and so beautiful. Satan gets depicted as some pitchfork tail, red type of thing with green eyes. And what he is, it says he was the most beautiful creature with the deepest voice and with the most perfect of charm and essence. And that means that if he was around, every lady would just swoon and go, oh. The greatest movie star that there was. And then you see him in power and you're going to fall over and worship. And that's what's going to happen. The deceit that is going to come is Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. And he's going to stand there in that time and proclaim himself to being God through the Antichrist. And that's, going to ha that's the deceit that we're trying to... It started way back in the garden and it runs to this day. And the pictures of angels is a part of it. I couldn't find a good one to put up here. But they're created and they are male genitive and they are masculine in gender. And don't get mad at me. I didn't write the stuff. I'm just preaching the truth to you and what it is. But mythology and the medieval art started all of this deceit. But I want you to know that they are real. That they are created beings. They are not God. They are lower than God, but higher than man. Man, why are you mindful of Him? You created us a little lower than the angels. So we have a pecking order. There is a ranking system. And I'm sorry, there's always going to be a ranking system. From angels to even when we get into the heavenly realm, there is a system that God has. And right now, it is God. And it is angels. And then it is man on that order. And then we have it in, a, in different orders and everything as well. But that is the order of it. And these beings have always... The angelic conflict is about us solving the battle between God and Satan by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what life is about. And it started as soon as man was created and God placed him in the garden... Genesis chapter 3, the very first words talks about the Satan. The serpent who came in and started talking to the woman. So immediately as man is created and God puts him to the garden. And end of chapter 2 was Adam taking his wife. And saying this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to leave father and mother and cling to, to her. And we twain shall be one. And then the very next verse is... The serpent was the most subtle of the creatures that was out there in this garden. That, that God, He was already amongst us. The hiss of the serpent, his name is Nakash. And it's Nakash because it represents that hiss of the serpent. It was the vocal cords that he used to coerce and deceive the woman. And then next... You've got the angels, the sons of God, the fallen angels. See in Genesis chapter 6, the daughters of men and that they're beautiful. And they take to them wives. And then we're going to get into that in about three or four weeks. So wherever we go, we see that there are angelic beings having interaction with human beings. And they still do to this day. One of the things in this restraining of angels that God has placed is that 
thank God that we don't see them all the time. Because if it did, we would be falling head over heels and trying to worship them. So one of the things from that first time on that God has done is He blinds our eyes to that realm. There is a realm that is there that is real. It is more real than this world because it was there before this world started. It's going to be there when this world is gone. It is the true real world. But what He's done is He's caused us not to be able to see a lot of that. And it's for our own good that He does. And I'm going to give you some examples of that. God has authority over these beings and evidently He's put it into place that that's the way it's going to be. You are not to continue to present yourselves to Him. Only when God allows them to present themselves and opens our eyes to be able to see them presenting themselves. And I give you like... Um, back in the angel Gabriel, Zacharias, the father of John, you remember he's in the temple and he's doing his work and all of a sudden God allows that angel to present himself to him with a message from God and he can see him. Otherwise, he couldn't have done that. The same thing to Joseph in the dream and to Mary. He appeared to them. He appeared to Daniel. But Daniel saw this angelic being who was there whenever the Lord Jesus Christ came and Saul of Tarsus was going into town on the road of Damascus after Christians. He was blinded by a light and as the Lord Jesus talked to him, it always says that they were able to see some of these things, but the people around them were not. So Daniel was able to see this man, but it said that those that were with him down there at the time did not see it, but they could hear a little bit of things going on. Was it thunder? Was it what was it in the wind? But they could not see like what Daniel saw. So the Lord reveals angels at specific times because the word angel is the word for messenger. They are messengers of God and they bring forth a message when they appear. And he allows them to be seen by the ones that he wants, but the other ones, they are not able to be seen. Their eyes are closed. With Balaam, do you all remember the story of Balaam and a donkey? And how that he was going over to Balak to try to curse the children of Israel. And you remember he's riding on his favorite donkey. This is in Numbers chapter 22 on our Berean chapters. He's riding on his donkey. And the first time he, he's riding the donkey, the Lord opens the eyes of the donkey. And the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing there with a sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey goes around that angel of the Lord with the sword and goes around into a field so that he can go through the field and not in the place where the angel of the Lord is with the sword drawn after Balaam. And what happens? Balaam, his eyes are closed to this angel and he gets mad at the donkey for not obeying to stay in the road and going in the field and he starts striking his donkey. The donkey gets back over into the road after it passes and he's going along and now there's a couple of vineyards and there's a wall on each side and there's an angel of the Lord, that same angel of the Lord now stands in the middle of that and the donkey's eyes are open to look at the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn and it scoots as far as it can go over to the wall on one side so far as to smash Balaam's foot against the wall as he tries to pass that angel. And he gets mad at the donkey again and strikes it again. Next time the angel of the Lord appears as he's going on this journey to get there to curse the people of God, which he shouldn't have been doing because God told him not to do it. The third time... <laughs> The, the road is so narrow that the donkey can't pass. The angel of the Lord is standing there with a sword drawn. And the donkey can't go anywhere because there's like a wall between. And the angel of the Lord this time fills the entire space. And so you know what the donkey does? Anyone remember? He just rolls over. <laughs> He's like, I ain't going nowhere, dude. And he rolls over on Balaam and just rolls to the side. And Balaam gets up and... As he grabs his staff to get ready to start whacking that donkey, the Lord, it says in Numbers 22, opens the mouth of the donkey. So the donkey's eyes first were opened to be able to see him. 
And now the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey to speak. And the donkey says to Balaam, wait a minute. How long have I been your donkey and you've been riding on me? Balaam goes along with the show. I mean, he used to be a, a wizard. So I'm thinking that maybe he's saw something like this before. All I know is he begins carrying on the conversation. And he goes, well, I've had you ever since you was little. And the donkey says back to him, then have I ever acted this way to you before? And he says, no, you've never acted this way before. The donkey said, didn't I do everything that you've always asked? Haven't I always went the proper way? Yes, you had. He said, then don't you think there's something going on now? And he, Balaam says, yeah, I'm so mad at you now with what you're doing. If I had a sword, careful what you wish for. He said, if I had a sword right now, I am so spitting mad, I would take that sword and I would kill you. And it was at that time that the Word of God says that the Lord opened His eyes and He saw what the donkey had been seeing. He saw the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn, ready to kill Him. And He falls down. And begins worshiping. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I didn't mean for all of this to happen. If we ever saw an angel, especially the angel of the Lord. But the point is, there was a restraint upon the eyes of all of us and on the animals. But sometimes the Lord opens them. First, it was only to the animal. And animals, you can watch because the Lord communicates to us a lot through those animals, don't He? You can watch. Then... The Lord opened its mouth. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. So in other words, there is another realm that we only get our eyes open to at the times that we are supposed to see those things, that, that God makes a point of it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha is there with his servant, and the king of Syria really wants to get after Elisha. He was making plans. It's kind of like these plots that go on between Russia or China and the U.S. and stuff and how that they do these plots all the time, trying to get at each other. Well, Syria was making um, plans to take over Israel. And they, every time, though, the king in his quarters made plans, Elisha was telling Israel what was going on and was able to counteract it before it started. And... The king of Syria thought that there was somebody in his group that was a spy and was revealing things that they shouldn't be. And one of the guys said, no, but there's a prophet over there in Israel that the Lord tells him what you whisper in your bedroom. He tells him and he goes and tells them. So that king said, well, then we got to take care of that prophet. So that one morning as the servant of Elisha wakes up and he goes out to the door to look, the army of Syria is surrounding them. And he comes in and says, Oh my master, oh my master, what are we to do? And he says, what do you mean? He says, look, look out there at the army of Syria and they're after you and I, uh, you know, us too. And there's them. And he goes, don't be afraid. Those that are with us are more than that are with them. And he's like, what are you talking about? Have you just now gone totally berserk on me? And he says, no. And he begins to pray. And it says that Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open my servant's eyes so that he can see the glory of God and can see that there are more with us than with them. And it says that the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and the heavens parted and he could see the chariots and the horses and the army of God and all of its splendor on the mountain." Getting ready to, to handle what was going on. Folks, you and I have no idea what's just outside of our vision. And what is going on in the realm. And in the interaction between the spiritual realm and our physical realm. Each and every day. And it's only when the Lord opens the eyes for a purpose that we get to do that. Now, where am I at? Another time, the Lord, after His... Death, burial, resurrection, and his victory over Satan and sin for us. He's on the road uh, to Emmaus. 
And there's Cleopas and his friend. And so the Lord joins up with them. And he talks that entire walk to them. And they don't know who he is. Their eyes are blinded to who he is. And it says that when they get to the house, they invite him in for supper. And they say, it's late. No, No, come on in with us. It's late. And it says that they allowed the Lord to break the bread. And when the Lord broke the bread, and I believe that as he broke it, that you saw... That he allowed their eyes to be open, the scripture says. And I think that they saw the nail prints in his hand as he handed it to them. It says that their eyes were opened. So their eyes were closed before that to who he was. And now the eyes got opened. And it says they realized that it was the Lord that was in their presence. And then it says the Lord vanished like that. That's the power that we have in a resurrected body. That we will have one day. But the Lord vanished. But their eyes were opened. And then they knew Him. So I want you to see that our eyes are closed on purpose. To a lot of these things in the spiritual realm. And even to this day. That happens. Because you say well that was all back then. What about today? What about you and I? What about this church age? Well let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment. We're going New Testament now on you. New Testament in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have entertained what? Woo! Angels among us. Someone told me this morning, it was Nate back here. He said, I knew you was going to talk about angels. And I was thinking of Alabama's song, there are angels among us. There surely is. And the book of Hebrews right here says for you and I to let brotherly love continue between each other. And don't forget to entertain strangers because for so doing some have entertained angels unawares. Now folks, that's New Testament. And that's serious business, isn't it? Makes you start to think about how you're going to treat some others. And angels still have interactions to this day. Do you know that this auditorium right now is filled with spiritual realm beings right now? We are. It is filled with them. Oh, you think I'm like Elisha and off my rocker, huh? Well, I can't pray to the Lord to open our eyes. I don't know that he would do that and answer my prayer like he would Elisha. But I'm going to show you from the word of God that it's true. Because in Hebrews chapter 1... This same book of Hebrews, it says, we're going back now to that psalm we had in the beginning. we're, We're filled with watcher angels here in this auditorium right now and our ministering spirits. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all, who? The angels that he just said, to which of the angels did he ever say? But are they not all ministering Spiritual beings that are sent forth from God to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who's inheriting salvation? We are. And it says that Christ is at the right hand of God and that the, none of the angels have ever had that privilege. So somebody in human flesh who was made lower than the angels through death has now been elevated higher than the angels and sits at the throne room of God. And now for all of those who are in Christ Jesus, inheriting salvation, the angels of God who are ministering spirits are now sent out to minister unto you and I who are inheriting salvation. Praise God! Do you ever think about that? Have we ever talked about that in this kind of a light of what is happening around us right now. The Lord has ministering spirits that are out there to minister to us. Now, even to babies. We've, we've got a little baby sitting right here. We've got a couple other ones getting ready to be born. And we've got some young'uns back here in the back auditorium. Do you know that their angels are right here with us now too? Our ministering spirit angels are here. Theirs are here as well. I want to take you to Matthew 18. This is the Lord Jesus talking. This is not even 
the Spirit-filled Word of God from Hebrews. This is Matthew 18. The disciples have been fighting over again who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And what Jesus does is He grabs one of the, the little ones. And I don't know, I try to picture things in my mind's eye. And what I picture, when I talk to a little one, I like to get on their level. And what I usually like to do is to get down on one knee and, and be on their level and talk to them. And then I like to put them on my knee so that they're sitting there and you're talking with them. And so as I think about Jesus trying to explain to these doughheads about fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And he takes this little child and I can see him look at that little child and, and put him there. And he says, I want to tell you all something. Unless you become like this little child, you in no way will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he, he goes on to say something else about it. He says this, look at verse 10. Matthew 18 and verse 10, as he's trying to teach them this principle, he says, Take heed also that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, so this is Jesus talking I say to you that in heaven, right now, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I'm going to repeat that again with a smile. <laughs> Jesus has that little young and there with him and he says, I want you to know, don't worry about who's the greatest. You need to become who's the least. You need to think about being like this little child. And as a matter of fact, since I'm speaking of little children and you're trying to be so great, you better become like them. And as you're doing that, you'd better not mistreat them. Because we saw a minute ago to, to entertain hospitality because you might entertain angels. He said, not only might you entertain angels, but if you think that you're so good and so big that you despise one of these little ones, you look down upon them, you treat them like they're nothing. They're angels. And that's plural. And it only takes one angel to kill 185,000 Syrian soldiers standing outside the gates of Jerusalem. And he says, they're angels, plural. Not only surround them, but they are in the presence of my Father. And they're before the face of my Father which is in heaven. So you better be careful how you treat each other and how you treat these little ones. But since their angels are around them, and also the face of the Father, like I said, this auditorium and that gymnasium is filled with spiritual beings that our eyes cannot see or fathom. But they're here and they are watchers and they are watching over us and reporting things to God and they are here to protect us. Now those are words of Jesus and that's pretty powerful words and thoughts. And folks, we're just getting started. <laughs> We're just getting started in a study of what the Word of God says about angels and, and the spiritual realm and the, and the angelic warfare and the, and the fallen angels. There's so many other things that they do. Did you know that there's weather angels? That God has assigned the ability of weather and what happens to His angelic beings. Look at uh, Revelation 7-1 up here on the board. After these things, as John's writing, he says, I saw four angels. They're standing at the four corners of the earth. You see, these are beings that we can't even fathom. Four of them standing at four corners, knowing what each is doing and seeing this, and they're holding back the wind. They're holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the dead or any tree. And in verse 2, another angel he has the job of having the seal of the living God. And he tells the four angels that are holding back the winds and the, and the angels that have the ability to, to harm the earth and the sea. He's telling them, don't do any harm yet until we seal the servants of God on their foreheads. So you've got angels in charge of weather. You've got angels in charge of making sure before any disaster happens and before anything's going on that the sealed servants of God are sealed and known and we know what's happening with them. Whether they lose a life or whether we protect them, whichever God is granting, we are on the ball getting it done before anything happens because everything is directed by the hand of God. 
And they are all underneath of their calling. Speaking of the angels and what they do and their roles and, and how that God only reveals what He wants revealed. I asked Ron if I could share this. You know, a couple weeks ago I mentioned about the time that his, his father had the two heart attacks and that he was coded out twice for over seven minutes each. And we went down there and the Lord allowed him to come back for a little while, several days. And he told us some things. And I told you the story of how when he was coded out, the Lord allowed him, I think, to see some things from that realm and to share a snippet of it with us so that we would see and understand. But remember I told you how that there was beings there, these spiritual beings, the angelic beings, and the ones who were chilling and seemed to be the evil type wanted to try to get to him, but, but there was restraint some type of restraint that they could not get to him. And he was trying to go towards the light. And they were trying to surround but couldn't. And then he was told to come back, wasn't he? It wasn't your time yet. And he came back and he told me that story. But there's a story at the end that I've forgotten and I hadn't shared with you. That was a snippet, I think, of the other side that the Lord allowed the eyes to see. And I'll share that in a moment why I think that. But the other one was that at the moment that he was getting ready to pass into the arms of our Lord and to be with him. He was looking at the family that was there and behind Ron's sister. He was asking, who is that guy who was standing there? And they looked around and are like, there's no one here, dad. There's no one here. Was, yeah, there is. And he, he said that he looked like, a, like he was to be of Irish descent, didn't he? He said, I, 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 he, he, who's, who's this visitor that's in my room and it's a man and it looks like he's, and they said, there's no one here. He said, yeah, he, he looks like he's an Irish descent. And he's, he's, he's here for me. He's here for me. And it wasn't but a moment later, he was gone. You say, Daryl, you're getting wound up in all of your studies and you're going a little bit too far with this, I think. Oh, yeah? Well, I think it's biblical. Whenever you look at the angelic roles like the army warriors and, and the weather angels, you know that there's another role that the angels have been given, and that's the reapers of God. And it says in Luke 16, when you talk about the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus talked about, and this is not a fairy tale, this is a true story of a man that they knew that was Lazarus and a beggar that laid at the rich man's gate. It says there, as it described that in verse 22, that so it was. That the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So when he was ready to be taken unto the Lord, he was protected. And the angels of God, the reapers of God, came to him and carried him into Abraham's bosom to be with there. And then it says that also that the, uh, the rich man died also, and when he opened his eyes, he was in the fiery flames looking at Abraham's bosom and at Lazarus. So there are the reapers of God who come and take you at that moment. And for those of us who have been sealed, as it said there a moment ago, don't let anything happen until we make sure we've sealed the servants of God. Because the mighty angels, our angels that are assigned to us, are ready and willing whenever that point happens. Faith in the Lord Jesus, sealed by the Spirit, protected by the grace of God, because He wants to bring many sons of God to glory by grace through Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, parable of the tares and the wheat that Jesus gave in Matthew 13. Angels are the reapers of God. Verse 24 through 30 in this parable, you've got wheat and tares. They grow up in the field. Wheat is good for food. Tares are weeds. Tares are like these, I got blades of grass in my garden covering my onions. 
You can't see my onions for the blades of grass. They're camouflaged inside of there. They're, they're growing up together. It's gotten so far now that you know what would happen if I tried to yank them weeds out? It's going to pull the onions out with it because those little onions aren't going to withstand all those weed roots that's wrapped around there being pulled out. So Jesus says, I'm going to put forth another parable to you all about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And it's like a man who sowed seed in his ground. And he sowed good seed. And we know from the sower that the good seed is the word of God. So you have the word of God that goes out that's getting sowed by the man out into the field. And now, while that man slept, you know, most of the time the church is asleep. While that man slept, somebody else, the wicked one, came, the enemy, and sowed tares among the wheat. And he went on his way. When the blades were sprung up, and then they began to bring forth and to start to fruit, so that you could tell the difference between the two, they saw that there was tares that was sowed in with the wheat. Then it says, the servants of the householder came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow the good seed? Didn't you sow the wheat seed down there in your field? And he said, I surely did. They said, well, why are there tares in there with that? You must have had some bad seed. He said, no, I sowed the word of God. I sowed the good seed. The enemy comes and tries to take that away or to put different logical prosperity things in it and different things so that it changes it and it tries to look like wheat but they are weeds that are there to overcome the tares that are in the wheat represents those who are authentic in their faith the tares represent those who try to look like wheat but aren't authentic in their faith in the way they do things and so they said are we then to go out here and start yanking out those tares those counterfeiters those ones who are pretending to be he said no let him grow up together to the harvest but when the harvest comes i Now here's the Lord talking, verse 30. I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first my tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat and put them in my barn. So you got two different kind of reapers, angels. One's that's the reapers for the tares, and one's that's the reapers for the wheat. And the angelic roll that they have one of those roles is reapers. And we only get to see them if the Lord opens our eyes for a moment to get to see them. We better better get going. Praise team, come on up. We've only just begun. You know, whenever I was building my house, it took us about four months, and we'd go to Menards and hear that song play all the time. You save big money. You save big money. Well, I had another song I like to sing from day one. We've only just begun. And she'd say, I'm so tired of having to do this. We've only just begun. Every night. Well, we've only just begun to uncover. I mean, there's 273 verses just about angels in the Bible. We've only covered a few. I, I promise not to cover every one of them. But the high points, we're going to keep on covering because we've got to learn this stuff. But now, here's... Here's what I want to remind us of as we leave today and we go to to have fun on the 4th of July. I want you to know about your freedom that you have in Jesus Christ like we started. The one who came and made himself a little lower than the angels for our salvation. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. In eternity past, you remember our RK span that we had up there, the timeline of creation things. In, in, In eternity past, in the form of God, Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. (laughs) He took all of his glory away, and he left the heavenly realm to take the form of a man, a bondservant, as a matter of fact, lower than the angels. He humbled himself to suffer and die on the cross so that as we saw in the book of Hebrews, and now we're seeing here that he was made lower than the angels, that his suffering might bring many sons to glory. And by doing that, and taking those assets of God gave him of the word of God and the Holy Spirit and resisting the evil one, he now left those for us that we can resist and we can be wheat and not tares. 
and that we can resist and be sons that gets to glory because it says here, therefore God, because he did that, has also highly exalted him. And he's given him not a name. He gave him, it says in the original, the name. There is only one the name. That at the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on heaven, on earth, and under the earth that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I say, isn't it time to make that confession of faith today? Instead of before it's too late when the reapers come and you might not have done that. Make sure that you have given your life for Jesus Christ. And in faith you have walked with him. You are with him. You've, you've got his spirit amongst you. I can help you Bill. And we want to be in Christ. Because every knee will bow one day. Those on earth, in heaven, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he's Lord. So we might as well do it now. And be sons of God brought up into glory. Amen. Father. We thank you for your son. As we study about angels and that they are created beings. They are in subjection to you. It's your son who spoke the things that you planned into existence. Your son said they need a savior. And you said, well, I need a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And he says, I'll be the lamb. So he humbled himself. Took off the robe of glory and of God. And made himself of no renown. And came in the form of human flesh what is man that you are mindful of him? Well, he's your creation that you love. And so the son says, I will become a man. Because as God, I can't die on the cross. I can't be relegated to one place because I'm a spiritual being that is everywhere. I am God. I can't die because I'm God and I have eternal, eternal life. I can't do those things as God. I just can't do it for my creation. But as man, as a man, I can and so he gave up of himself and went to that cross and suffered so that he might bring us many sons to glory with him through that sacrifice. So, Father, as we study angelic beings and we study your creation and we study your word, we're thankful for the word and for the Lord Jesus and for your plan and for the spirit that you've given to indwell with us. And, Father, we pray for your protection your provision, and your care, and your grace. Help us to be ambassadors for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.